Hi, I'm Dave Scott. I'm pastor of Crossway Community Church, and I want to welcome you. Crossway is a church simply committed to making disciples. We meet at 1501 Woodbury Road. It's off of Colonial and Fort Wayne in East Orlando. Come check us out. I look forward to meeting you. Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you all. I trust you survived without me last week. Yeah, was very good. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you for uh, letting me get away. My son's wedding was on Sunday in uh, Cummings, Georgia, just north of Atlanta, and uh, had a great time of celebration there. A lot of my family came in, and great to celebrate a new daughter-in-law, a second one this year. So my quiver is now full. <laughs> and uh, it was just a really, really special time. You know, this last week has really been horrific. When we were at the wedding, I really wasn't watching the news, to be honest with you, because we had, you know, we got in on Friday night. We had the rehearsal on Saturday and the rehearsal dinner when all this happened in Israel. And, of course, like you, I was horrified um, when I was able to, to give more attention and hear the details of just this... Uh, uh, horrific massacre that happened um, in, in Israel. And really, it just shows to me, um, reminds me again of the darkness of this world. I mean, if that wasn't a scene of darkness, uh, the slaughtering of men, women, children, and the elderly, um, uh, I don't know what is. Um, and uh, it also reminds me that the land of Israel, the promised land, is, is truly a land of pain. Um, and you look at it and you think, well, why are they fighting over this? Um, there's not really much there. Um, of course, it's a lot deeper than that. Um, but it does illustrate, I think, and remind us again that we really are in a battle of good versus evil, light versus dark. And that's not just true there. And lest that feel distant, be assured that is coming to us. Um, I remember in uh, 1990, I was working in the former Soviet Union with the Jesus film, and we had a showing in uh, uh, the capital of Kazakhstan. Um, and during the, at the end of the film, uh, there was a demonstration that broke out in the theater, because this was public, because this was during uh, Gorbachev opening Glasnost Perestroika, so we could, we could do the film showing there. But the Muslim Brotherhood had infiltrated the, the theater. You may not hear the, the name Muslim Brotherhood, but it's the largest um, terrorist organization across all the Muslim world. It's like a fraternity, and it's, and it's been around for a long time. And when, when that broke out and they started shouting, Allah Akbar, God is great, Muhammad is his prophet, uh, at the end of the Jesus film when Jesus you know, says that he is, he is the way, the truth, and the life, um, I knew that we were entering a new age uh, and that something different was coming towards us. And even though we've been through 9-11, uh, we're not done yet. Um, but it's really bigger than that. It's a spiritual battle, and we're in it here as well. It's not just something in the news. It's not just something political. Um, and we come here to John chapter 8, and it's interesting because uh, Jesus uh, speaks there and he speaks about light, and he speaks about darkness. Um, and really, uh, he's talking about light in the desert. Is there light in the desert? And that last verse in John 12 that 
that Ray read says, and Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will walk in darkness. Will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The light of life. You know, um, all of us have different deserts and wildernesses that we find ourselves in. I don't know what your wilderness is. It might be uh, the wilderness of health problems. Uh, It might be the wilderness of financial insecurity. Um, It might be the wilderness of persistent loneliness. Uh, It might be uh, any one of a number of different things. Uh, Disillusionment in your career, frustrations in your marriage or your family or parenting challenges. We all have different wildernesses, different deserts, right? And I guarantee you that if you aren't in one now, you've either been in one or one is coming eventually because sooner or later we all enter into them. And how do you find life in the middle of those kind of deserts? How does God relate to those hardest places in our life? Um, I think that's what this passage raises the question. So I want to dive in here, and the reason why I want to start with verse 12 is uh, the first 11 verses, the story about the woman caught in adultery, is a very poignant story. Uh, The truth is it's not in the earliest manuscripts of the Gospel of John. It's in a few. Uh, The ones that it does show up in, it doesn't actually show up in this place. Uh, This word, word, it does occur here as we find it. Uh, is in later manuscripts that are really outweighed by the weight of better manuscripts. So the more probable uh, conclusion is it probably wasn't in the original manuscript of the Gospel of John. That doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. It doesn't mean that it wasn't an authentic story. And it certainly is a powerful one that has many lessons for us, right? Because all of us uh, find ourselves condemned by the enemy like like the Pharisees came and condemned the woman, pointing the finger at them, right? Uh, and shame is a powerful enemy that, that chases all of us. And Jesus speaks to that, right? Uh, that there is no condemnation. The accusers leave him. If they've left him, do I condemn you? And Jesus says, for all those in Christ, there is no condemnation, according to Romans 8. And we got, Jesus has freed us from shame. And that's certainly a huge part of who he came but we come down to verse, and so I'm not going to preach on that because of because it's questioned textually, and also because of how verse 12 really connects with the preceding passage. Um, and it starts out, and you know, every word in the New Testament is significant. You know, the first word is "and." You think, well, what kind of spiritual significance is there to the word "and"? Well, in the Greek, it's it's a conjunction, a connecting conjunction, a connecting word, um, "own." Uh, which also can be translated so. And because we know that probably 1 to 11 um, weren't in the original text, what actually connects verse 12 is going back to the previous chapter, the last verse, John chapter 7, verses 52. And in John chapter 7, verse 52, uh, once again, these are the skeptics that are speaking of Jesus. And they say, they replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see the prophets, that no, that no prophet arises from Galilee. Once again, remember, the central issue to John is the identity of Jesus. He's been building this argument all along the way, right? This, the main message is believe and live. Believe in who Jesus is and live. But that 
that begs the question, who is Jesus? His critics here, of course, they're all along the way, snipping at his heels like a chihuahua. Uh, uh, but they're questioning with their, with their superficial questions, and they question here, oh, you're from Galilee. Well, how in the world, you know, you saying that you're, you know, claiming to be someone from God? Well, how in the world can anything good come out of Galilee, right? It's like, how can anything good come from Nazareth? Um, but... Uh, what's interesting here is that in verse 12, when it transitions to say that and Jesus spoke to them, it's connecting back to this passage. In other words, they were questioning Galilee. And the next thing Jesus says is, and I am the light of the world. Why is this significant? It's significant because of other prophecies from the book of Isaiah about this suffering servant who had come. Uh, and specifically in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And it says of this servant that Isaiah is describing, this messianic servant, he says, but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former times, he brought into contempt the land, contempt the land of Zeb Zebulun and Naphtali. But in the latter times, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Of course, we recognize this as a Christmas prophecy, right? But it's actually connected to this passage. Do you see in chapter 7, the last verse, they're questioning, can anything good come out of Galilee? And what does Jesus say? I am the light of the world, a, a fulfillment here of Isaiah chapter 9, that he is this suffering servant who's come from Galilee, right? Uh, shining into the anguish of the people. And first thing to observe as we look at this passage as a whole, specifically verse 12, is that light is the redemption of anguish. Light is the redemption of anguish. That generation was living in anguish, even as the, today the generations in the Middle East are living in anguish, right? They were living under occupation, just like the people of Palestine feel like they're living under occupation, just like the Jews are feeling like they're living under assault, right? Um, uh, it was a time of anguish. And uh, what the, Isaiah prophesies is in that time of anguish, which Jesus lived in, um, uh, that there would be a light that shines, specifically in this dark region of Galilee. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. What's the great light that they have seen? Jesus. It's Jesus, the light who shone, right, uh, on that Christmas Eve when he was born. Um, and so uh, what does that mean? It means that God promises to bring redemption to our anguish. He saw the anguish of the people of Israel, and he came to redeem it. Um, and that's the first uh, significance here. So uh, uh, that there's a connection. Yes, the people of Galilee is a place of darkness. That's what the prophets, that's what these Pharisees are saying. Oh, there's, that's, a dark, that's a spiritually dark region. Nothing good comes out of there. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the one that Isaiah prophesied of a light that would shine in the place that you're calling darkness. But... It says, and, and Jesus spoke to them. Light is not just the redemption of darkness, but light is a person, right? Jesus spoke to them when he says, I am the light. This is a person. God has come in the flesh, as John talked about in John chapter 1, and dwelt among us. 
Light is a person. It's a relationship, right? Uh, and it's not about a religion. Today in the Middle East, they're fighting over religion. Jesus did not come to bring religion. He came to bring a, a relationship. He didn't come about rules. He didn't come to give a new list of to-dos, a new uh, 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 set of requirements. He came to fulfill God's requirements. He came to show what God has done so that he could give light to us and be life for us. Um, so light is a person. And Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Now, this is interesting that Jesus says this here. You need to remember, we need to put ourselves in context because uh, light sheds understanding on what I'm going to call the land of between. Okay, the land of between. I want to give some context to this so you understand what I'm talking about. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel were living in the land of between, literally the land of wilderness between Egypt and the Canaan land, right? And so most of the Old Testament happens in this space even after they get to the land of Canaan, right? Then they're, they're exiled and they're in a different, another land of wilderness, another land of between. Um, and uh, there's a book uh, that uh, is very significant for me uh, called The Land of Between. It's written by John Jeff Mannion. It's called The Land of Between, Finding God in Difficult Transitions. He says, what if the, the times in life that we most desperately seek to avoid, foreclosure, unemployment, aging parents, personal illness, relationship, loss, are actually the periods where we most desperately, that we most desperately need? In this book, what Mannion, he uses the story of the, of, of the nation of Israel's journey through Sinai as a metaphor of being in an undesired time of transition, and we've all had those, right? I mean, I've had them. Have you had them? Um, and uh, after, you know, and during generations of, of slavery in Egypt, the people of Israel, right, the descendants of, of Jacob, they travel through the desert, which is this land of between, towards this new home in Canaan. And they crave the food, right, of their former land in Egypt, right? They're hungry. Does that sound familiar? John chapter 6, right? What did God provide? He provided manna. What did Jesus say? I'm the fulfillment. I'm ultimately the bread of life. Um, then they're thirsty. What did God do? He provided them water. What does Jesus say? All who are thirsty, come to me and drink. John chapter 7. Uh, and you will never thirst again. Um, and uh, they're unable to go, go back, right? They can't go back to Egypt and they can't move forward. And so uh, what he says about this land of between, Jeff Mannion says, is it's, it's where life is not as it once was, but the, where the future is in question, right? I'm gone from the place of comfort and security, but I don't know where I'm, I'm and I haven't arrived yet. He says, welcome to the land between the wilderness where faith can thrive is the very desert where it can dry up and die if we're not watchful. The habits of the heart that we foster in this space, our response and reactions will determine whether the land between results in spiritual life or spiritual death. We choose. This is the land of between, the land of wilderness. Um, 
So you say, Dave, why are you talking about this here? It's the land of the already and the not yet. And we live in that tension. You see it repeatedly through scripture. We feel it in our lives. And, and we're at the times where, I mean, uh, we love the promises of scripture. They're already true of us, but they're not fully realized. And so we live in that time now of brokenness and loss, which is the, land, which is the reality of not yet. The reason why I put it the land between is because from chapter 7 in the book of John to chapter 11 is a, is a cycle of festivals that John builds his gospel around. Um, in John chapter 7, um, verse 2, it starts out with the Feast of Booths, which we know is the Feast of Tabernacles. This was a celebration of the people of Israel's sojourn in the land of wilderness. Literally what they would do is they would build up, they would build uh, booze in their backyard where they would eat all of their meals. And then it would, be, it would culminate in a, uh, a festival at the last day. Uh, 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 it was called the Feast because um, uh, it was one of the main Jewish feasts in, in the temple in which... Uh, they would read the prophecy about how in the latter days God would pour out water, or this, this, this river of live, living water of life that would pour out of Jerusalem, it says literally to the nations. And that's where Jesus says, if any man is thirsty, come unto me and drink. Uh, that's the last day of the Feast of uh, Tabernacles. But he's headed towards the Feast of Dedication in chapter 10. It says, that, it talks about that he was at the Feast of Dedication. The Feast of Tabernacles is in September and October, and the Feast of Dedication is, is a month or two later, uh, which is about the dedication of the second temple and all that went on there. And the, when the, finally the people of Israel have the temple again. But Jesus comes and Jesus says that when we, you're celebrating the time of tabernacles, the time where you, you lived in tents, uh, but he says, but but. God, John says in John chapter 1, has come and, and dwelt among us. And I love the way Eugene Peterson puts that. He's, he's tabernacled among us. God is now here tabernacling with us in the middle of our desert, in the middle of our wilderness. He has now come. But Jesus says, right, that you're going to dedicate the temple. And you think that that's the realization that finally you've arrived, the fact that you have a temple again. But he says that I am the temple. You tear it down in three days, and I will raise it up again. Jesus is the temple, the true temple, right? God doesn't dwell in a building. He doesn't dwell behind a curtain. God has now come, Emmanuel, as a person to dwell among us, and he now wants to give his spirit in these, in these latter days, in these end times. He wants to pour out his spirit on us um, as the, as the, as the uh, curtain of the temple was rent, and God's, for the first time, God's presence, his indwelling presence is poured out, not just on special people like it was in the Old Testament, but on all who place their faith in him. And so what we see here when Jesus is saying that I am the light of the world, you've got to understand that it's in this cycle of, 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 of uh, festivals between the, the, the tabernacle and the, the Feast of the Dedication. So the focus here is on the wanderings of Egypt. When they're, when they're celebrating in the Feast of Booze, they're celebrating God's provision in the middle of the wilderness, how God provided the manna, how God provided um, water for them. And in this time of, uh, uh, you know, where they realize they're not in the promised land. Um, and, and so 
It's the focus is on the wanderings. And so, and so for us as well, we have these time of wanderings, and God wants to meet us in our wilderness and provide for us just like he did for the people of Israel. But what we have to understand is we have to understand where we are in this land of between. In the Old Testament, they lived between promise and the first coming, right? They didn't know how this was all going to be realized and fulfilled in Christ. They had prophecies, but they lived between the promise and the first coming. And so they had to understand their difficulties through that. And a lot of times they misunderstood it because they didn't put themselves in the right context. In the Gospels here, like we see in the Gospel of John that we're studying, they lived between the expectations of how they thought it would be fulfilled and how it was ironically fulfilled in Christ. They're now in the time where it's beginning to be fulfilled, but it's not being fulfilled in a way that they expect. And many times in life, for us, it's the same way. God doesn't do things the way that we expect them to do. Expectations, right? Expectations catch us sometimes in a bind. And in Jesus' time, that's what he's, he's dealing with the Pharisees' expectations. He's dealing with the expectations of the, of the crowds, of the people, to point to them to say, no, you're focused on food and bread. What you need to be focused on is life that comes from God himself and let go of your expectations. But for us, where do we live? How do we understand our place in this time of between, right? This land of between. We live between the cross and the second coming. What does it mean to live between the cross and the second coming? When we're looking at our circumstances that we're going to here, going through here, our challenges, we need to understand them in light of our place in redemptive history. Just like the people in the Gospels, they needed to understand what was really happening, to understand what was going on. They needed to understand that God has now come, right, in the flesh. He's dwelt among us. Now, Christ has now died, but he hasn't come back again. So we still live in this tension of this land of between in the already and the not yet. And so we need to understand, Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, right? Even here he says that those who walk in darkness will have life. We will walk in darkness. Between the cross and the second coming, we will walk in darkness. But Jesus promises to be our light and our life in the middle of that. His light sheds understanding on our land of between, whatever that is, whatever our challenge, whatever your wilderness is. But light here in this passage we see is also talking about a savior in the desert. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, um, biblically in context, what this is, it's referring to light as a savior. In, in scripture, again and again and again, light is seen as the coming of a savior. So, for example, in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 19, it's talking about this, this Messiah is going to come. The sun shall be no more, your light will be day, nor your brightness shall the noon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and God will be your glory. You catch that phrase that resonates, everlasting life, everlasting light? God is our light in the desert. He's our Savior. He's talking about the coming of a Savior. The Messiah is a Savior, one to rescue us, to deliver us in the middle of the desert. He doesn't always deliver us from the desert, right? We want that. But he delivers us in the middle of the desert. And how does he do that? 
How does God deliver us in the middle of the desert? How, when Jesus says, I am the light, what difference does that make to you and to me in the challenges and the dark places that we, days that we find ourselves in? Because light is meeting God in the wilderness. It's meeting God in the wilderness. It says, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. I am. When God sent Moses to Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, who shall I say sent me? He says, say, I am has sent you. God says, I am that I am. This is my name, Yahweh. I am. Jesus is explicitly claiming his deity, proclaiming here his union with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, with the Trinity. That he, him, he is divine. I am the light of the world, right? And so this is one of the I am statements in John. Uh, we saw uh, I am the light of the world here. We saw in verse chapter 6, I am the bread of life. Uh, in chapter 10, I am the door. Uh, and, and also in chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. Uh, in chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Chapter 15, I am the true vine. John, remember, is unpacking Jesus' identity. Okay, if Jesus is God, if he's this divine Messiah that's coming, what does that say about him? Well, he's light, he's bread, he's sustenance, he's the door, right? He's the, the way of escape, he's the, the pathway to uh, the life that we were created to live. He's the good shepherd, the one who takes care of us, even in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death, whatever threatens us. He's the resurrection and the life, the one who has victory in the end. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the truth. If he's light, he has to be truth because light is also a metaphor for truth, right? Um, and he says, I am the true vine. If you abide in me, if you make your home in me, I will give you sustenance. I will be pushing spiritual nutrients into you as you remain connected to me. I am the vine. So light is meeting God in the wilderness. That's what it's really all about. It's not about God changing my circumstances, right? He didn't immediately evacuate the people of Israel from the wilderness. He let them wander for a while. He lets us wander. Why? Because it's an opportunity for us to experience him on a more deeper level. Why did God let the son of Pharaoh go to the backside of the wilderness of Midian, wandering around with the foreign people, the Midianites, as a shepherd, literally out, not just with the Midianites, but way out with sheep by himself in the middle of no man's land. Why did God let Moses do that? Because God wanted to reveal himself to Moses on Mount Sinai, but he had to take himself to the desert first. And then he shows himself there in a burning bush, right? He has a larger purpose for Moses. Uh, but he has to take Moses through a difficult time, and he takes us through difficult times to show us things about himself, to get to know him in a more deeper way. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, we have to understand that in the context of what is his deity, what does that mean that, about Christ, that he is divine, that he is God? He has come to meet us. He's come to have a relationship with us in the middle of the desert that we find ourselves in. But he's also, that means if, if, if he's come to me, it gives me hope. 
It gives me hope in the middle of the dark battles that we see around us, the dark battles that I feel like I'm up against. He says, you know, Jesus spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We're walking in darkness. Amen? Are you experiencing darkness around you? Do you see darkness around you? I do. There's not a lot of life in Orlando. There's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of darkness around us. And Jesus comes to give us hope in the middle of our dark battle. And so John here is uh, setting the context. He's setting the scene uh, in this battle between darkness and light. It goes all the way back to chapter 1 where he says that the light shone in the darkness and the darkness didn't comprehend it, right? Jesus coming into this world and this world didn't recognize the one who had created it. That there's this cosmic struggle going on between light and dark. Of course, we have this enemy, right? In the darkness. And what is he bringing? Death and destruction. When you watch a movie and all of a sudden it gets dark, what's about to happen? Something bad is about to happen, right? In the night. That's what always happens in horror movies and in murder films. They, they always go to darkness and because darkness foreshadows impending doom. We have an enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We saw that last weekend. The, the enemy who creates mayhem is not the one who gives life. He's the one who takes life. That's not true just on an epic battle scene like we saw there. It's true in your and my life. He wants to steal from you. He wants to steal from me. He has stolen from me. He has stolen from you. But Christ wants to come and give us life, to give me life, to give you life, to give us hope, to redeem the year of the locust, right? Because he is our hope in the middle of the battle. Um, this word light here, when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, once again, it ties back into this Old Testament theme of the wanderings of the people of Israel. What was it that led the people of Israel once they left Egypt? It's a cloud of fire by night. And it says literally that, that God would put himself, this cloud of fire would put himself between the people of Israel and the Egyptians behind them to protect them. God is in the middle of this battle between goodness and evil. And he wants to guide them, right? Light is also guidance. And so as they follow this uh, cloud of fire, uh, this light, the Shekinah glory of God, um, uh, he's going to lead them to where he wants them to go. Um, but light, notice what the passage says, requires following right? It requires following. Whoever follows me will walk in darkness. Will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Who are the ones who had the light of life? The ones who follow him. Not everybody that the light shone on followed Jesus, right? They didn't. They didn't all experience the light of life. A lot of them stayed in darkness because they didn't follow the light that was revealed to them, the light that was shown on them. And so um, we know, what, what does that mean? 
you know, this we're just talking about following here. It's not talking about following like on Instagram where you click the box and say, okay, yeah, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep track on that person. I'll check on them, see whatever they post, what they're doing. It's not talking about that. It's not talking about liking, say, oh yeah, I think that's pretty good. Oh yeah, that's good. Like, like we do in social media, right? That's not what's going on here. A lot of times, a lot of us have that kind of same approach to our faith. Oh, that's an interesting verse. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's good. God, yeah, I'll check in with God on Sunday. You know, he and I, and then through the rest of the week, that's, I'm good for that because I'm just following him, right? No, that's not the type of following that Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about an alignment of our life, a loyalty, a commitment, right? Because it's an either or here. Either I'm following light or I'm following darkness. Literally, what he's talking about is obedience. He's talking about who are you going to obey, right? Who am I going to be loyal to? Am I going to set my life to follow the way of light, the path of light, the path of God, of truth? Or am I going to wander in darkness and follow. And literally in this chapter, they get into this debate later on and here in chapter eight about whose authority is. How do you say this, that you're this? And then Jesus talks about this. You know, you're either of the, your father, the light, or your uh, the father, the devil. And it's one or the other. Who are you following? And the, and the Pharisees obviously were not following uh, God, right? They were following, and Jesus is very clear to identify who their father really is. Um, and so uh, discipleship requires following, right? Literally, Jesus, if Jesus is my rabbi, it, mean, it means that I have the dust of the rabbi on me. Why? Because I'm following close enough to me that when he walks, his dust gets on me, right? I keep my nose between the shoulder blades of Jesus, and that's what we have to do. A lot of times we're so fixated on, you know, okay, should I do this, and how, how's my life going to turn out? And you know, is this the will of God or isn't it the will of God? And really, we just need to follow Jesus. If we follow Jesus, God will get us where we need to go. But it requires us to spend time with him. It requires us to work step by step, right, uh, to allow him to be the, uh, the, the light of our path and to, to direct our steps. Um, and so uh, what is the last thing? That Jesus says here. He says, if you follow me, you will have the light of life. Light is the life in the desert. Jesus wants to bring us light and life. There's a there's, again and again when when these John is uses this metaphor of light multiple times, he's gonna do it all the way to chapter 15. Again and again, it's gonna come up and again as a metaphor, but it's tied to life, right? God bringing us life, that there is life in the desert. God came to give us life, light in the middle of our desert wanderings. And what is that life? That life is uh, a relationship with him, with him being with us in the middle of those difficult times. Um, you know, because when, when those times happen, and I don't know, you know, what it is for you or what it has been, um, but um, uh, I found myself in the desert many times. And one of the, you know, when you're in your 50s, um, for a man, you're really supposed to be hitting your prime in your, in your career. You know, you're supposed to really have a lot of doors of opportunity and influence, it's, you know, because you've, you've seasoned, you put in your time. It's supposed to bring financial security. 
you're getting in a better place, you know, to really be able to live in comfort. On my 50th birthday, I was a driver of a mail truck on third shift. I had a PhD, had 30 years in ministry, and because of a number of different circumstances that had happened, uh, I'd been previously working for as a, as a professor of a seminary, and they had a fundraising crisis, and I was the last one hired. Guess what? I was the first one cut. I had to pay my bills. I had to pay a mortgage. I kept you know, searching uh, for a ministry position, and God just didn't open the door. And I felt like I was in a wilderness. I remember on my 50th birthday, sitting in the cab of that truck saying, God, what in the world are you doing? What am I doing here? This is a desert. I do not want to be here. And my whole body just, just convulsed, wanting to reject my circumstances. And that's what it feels like when we're in those difficult times. The challenge that I was up against is, to, is you know, I'd look at the, these jobs, pastor jobs that were opening in different places, but I would have had to uproot my family and move to 10 buck two to find someplace that was really closely aligned. I had to, every time I looked at a job as a pastor job, I had to ask myself, okay, is, is this job worth me uprooting my family? And so I had a, Jonathan was just coming into high school, Nathaniel was in junior high. Parenting-wise, that's prime time, right? Those six years, that's, that's the main innings of the game. And so I had to ask myself, man, you know, is, is, is this job such a good fit that it's going to be worth me uprooting my sons in the, one of the most significant times of their life? And God just didn't open that door that ever, I ever felt like was a yes. And so what I ended up doing was taking other ministry positions that you know, weren't the perfect fit. Um, I, I was an interim pastor, um, and, and although I enjoy that kind of consulting relationship, even like I'm doing, I did with Crossway, I've you know, tried to be here to help you guys. But um, uh, I just did that, you know, and is God just kind of piecing things together? I did some, some fill-in work in between at times, but I really thought, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? During that time, my son Jonathan we put him into public school. We'd, we'd homeschooled him to age eighth grade. We wanted to put him in public school to allow him to stand on his own two feet. And this is a key season for us to be there beside him, right? To be able to coach him through these difficult challenges as he makes his faith his own. And he made a number of friends uh, in, in, uh, in high school. And this is one of them. This is Caleb. And Don and I decided, you know what? We're going to get their friends, and we're going to take them to camp every summer. We're going to take them to conferences, and this is at a, at, at a Christian camp that we took uh, uh, Jonathan. We said, okay, our, we want our kids to camp. The only reason they'll go is if their friends are going, so we're going to get all their friends to go to camp, and we'll just get them. And we got as many, ultimately, uh, after doing this for almost six years, we had 100 kids going to camp, and Caleb was one of them. Caleb was in public school in the charter school that Jonathan met him at, and when he graduated, these are uh, Caleb and, and this is Brody. Um, uh, what Jonathan ended up doing was he invited his friends into having a Bible study, and they started having a Bible study on Tuesday night after school uh, at the Wendy's. And there was about six guys that began meeting every week with Jonathan, and these were his community. And every time I'd look at a job, I'd have to ask myself, is that worth taking my son from the community that he already has? And again and again, I'd say, you know what, it's not worth my career. It's not worth my career. You know, last weekend was a very special weekend when Jonathan got married. But you know what one of the most special things was? Two of those guys came to that wedding. 
This is, this is Caleb. Now, he looks kind of crazy because he's got his tie on his head at the reception. He's not drunk. I, keep, I assure you that. As you saw, he's an exuberant person. He was dancing the night away, celebrating, right? The connection that he had had with Jonathan. Brody was there as well. Brody is, is, I was just with him when Houston and Mylene were here. He brought his new wife, Jordan, got to meet them. They're probably going to Cuba with us because of those connections, that community that was built. In the middle of my desert, God was growing something that I didn't know. And this was so much more worth something, more, more than something just on my resume. Because it's what got Jonathan through, that he had community, that helped him grow his faith in the most difficult times where he was facing decisions. He didn't always make the perfect decisions. But you know what? Being in community, following even the middle of his deserts, right, got, has gotten him where he wanted to go. And Jonathan's been through some difficult times. And this weekend was really a story, a story for us of a celebration and redemption in his life, you know, a brokenness that God's brought together. And he, all of us are broken. He glues us back together, the pieces of our lives, right? And so in the middle of our deserts, God wants to shine light. He wants to shine light. It's not always what we think he, what we think's going on. Uh, we ask ourselves why. That's you need to ask God why. It's okay. He can handle it. He can handle the tough stuff. That's what Psalms shows us. But what Jesus says here is God has heard us. He has seen us. He knows where we are, and He has done something about it. He has come to be with us in the middle of that desert and that wilderness, and He's come to bring us life. What is that life? It's His presence. It's a relationship with Him. Because he is the one who is life. He's brought life for you in your, in your, in your desert. He just asked, simply asked you to follow him. God, we thank you so much for not leaving us in the desert. Lord, we left and we wandered away from you. We have found ourselves in the desert of our own wrong choices. Lord, our own mistakes, our own regrets. Uh, Lord, our own sin. And God, you chose to take all of that upon yourself and to pay the price for that, that you were the scapegoat, literally the one who, whose sin was put on to them and, and who, was, who was exiled into the wilderness to be alone because of separated from the presence of God. You were uh, abandoned by God the Father so that we could be included and readopted into him. We thank you for that, Lord. Even today as we sit here in this land of between, this land of already and not yet, this land where we, we are facing many difficulties, much darkness, Lord, deserts, wilderness, we feel a lot of times like we're wandering, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you keep speaking truth to us, keep whispering in our ear that who we are, whose we are, who you have made us to be, based upon who you are, that we, if only believe in Christ, that we will live and find the life that you created us for. We praise you for that in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today and listening to this message from Crossway Community Church. Once again, we meet at 1045 on Sunday mornings at 1501 Woodbury Road, which is just off Colonial and 408 in East Orlando. Come check us out. I'll see you then.